Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Benjamin Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands and dust off your broomsticks and join us as we unlock the treasures behind Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 4, Flourish and Blots. Oh, man. So I feel like we, we left last episode potentially on like a, a glorious cliffhanger as to your thoughts for uh, the Chapter 4. Oh. Uh, thumbnail art here. The, yeah, the chapter we, art. The chapter for, art. Yes, for yes. Flourish and Blots. I mean, it's a twelve out of ten. Ben. It, I mean, maybe the best chapter art in any book, uh, <laughs> in all seven <laughs> books. We might have peaked Peak. right here. <laughs> it's pretty peak, Gilderoy for sure. He is so spot on, so <laughs> oh silly, so goofy, with a sparkling smile, and his it's book has the exact so same face. Silly. I know. Oh man, it's this idea of like wizards wearing hats, like the one that Gilderoy is wearing in the chapter art for this one, is also. Like, I feel like it's highly introduced in the beginning, but then it feels like it, like kind of forgotten eventually. Yeah, that like wizards wear hats. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like like your classic wizard's hat. So he's got his little stars there going on. I think there's a little moon right on the end of his hat. Oh, uh, there is. Um, yeah, like it's the, it almost like it's it's such a funny photo because what I love that the he smiling is holding a book of himself smiling in the exact same way, and then he's supposed to be this like super famous like fashionable guy, but then like even like. It's it's like so gaudy at the same time. Like his hat, even in black and white, clashes horribly with his robes. Yeah, like yeah. It's this. It's like not the same color pattern. It's not even the same like pattern of stars. You know, it's like the the robe has stars and moons, and his hat has just stars with like the little moon at the end. But I, yeah, it's just oh, it's so wonderful. I love it. It's hilarious and silly and just such a such an introduction to the character it is such an introduction to the character it is it's really funny and it, i also love that you wrote 12 out of 10 because i wrote 11 out of 10 just <laughs> wow a plus and three gold stars <laughs> amazing amazing <laughs> that, that, that was my that was my my uh hyper analysis there of our our chapter art so there you go yes. very good very good well there you so i'm sure you guys all agreed endlessly and if you saw the thumbnail ahead of time you were like wow 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 amazing 10 out of 10 chapter art, if not higher. Um, and you'd have nothing but uh, personal agreements about it. So let us let us know if you disagree, but I feel like it's almost impossible. Um, anyway, so Flourish and Blots, this is a, uh, a pretty interesting chapter looking way down the line in some uh, scenarios, but then also just sort of um, is it's where the thing happens that sets up the book. It's like where the diary is sort of introduced. Yeah, I, I know it's kind of it's it's an interesting chapter in that way because yeah you get introductions to some some super key characters that we haven't met uh before at all there's some super key artifacts that end up being vitally important as time goes on um so yeah kind of kind of an interesting chapter to unpack where it was kind of like i got to the end of it and then was almost being like i was having like more thoughts and having to like go back and find specific passages and like re-highlight and add more notes and stuff so my, yeah. my chapter is actually pretty scribbled in for this oh one. absolutely yeah there's a lot happening in this one for sure so um, I mean, I love we we touched on this a ton in the last chapter, um, but I loved even just the opening sentence. Life at the borough was as different as possible from life on Privet Drive. It's like, yes, yes, it is. It is indeed. Yes. And, you know, it's it's funny because this is like something that we've touched on a few different times. And I, and I feel like maybe I, I like was able to step back from it and sort of like gleam the important bits. But it, the, the, the very next sentence is the Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasley's house burst with the strange and unexpected. Um, and this is it's like 
like it's kind of something that I, I like especially as I get older I like it's a sentiment that I could almost struggle with because there is something really really nice about your house being clean well okay I think uh, you're right you're right it is like one of those things where it's like well there's nothing wrong with being clean it's like there's nothing wrong with being clean but the Dursleys are almost like sterile like they're clean for almost the wrong reasons like they're clean because it is a matter of like conforming and because it is like a matter of adhering to their imagined standards of like normality whereas like if your house is clean it's simply because it improves the living quality if you're like organized and clean and stuff at your house it's not you're not like necessarily adhering to conformity as much as you are trying to make like a more comfortable enjoyable place for you to like habitate yes yes right and and that's exactly it you know and i think like when you look at even like hermione as a character in general like she's a very like neat and orderly person in a way that doesn't come across as like like problematically so so i think right i think your sterile line there is exactly right it's like the i think they even describe petunia's kitchens as being like surgically clean and yes okay like that's taking it that is taking it too far and it's like she's clearly bought into something that has told her that this is like of utmost importance and she's trying to do it to such an extreme level that it's like okay well now you're just not making the the space hospitable for anyone right yeah yourself included right yeah it's not it's not even better for them to live in right right yes yes yep so anyway i think that that's that's sort of like the the delineation there because we we, we've said several times the podcast has progressed like magic is messy and that's kind of fun but it's also like then as a you know as a grown adult with a two-year-old it's like i don't like messy (laughs) yeah like right like pick up the oh god there's i can't move in this room or yeah there has definitely been times where my my son luke's room is like so cluttered with things that like just being in his room makes me like physically shake i'm like luke i i'm sorry i can't be in here right now i need to leave i need I, you know what i'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna have to just, sit breathe it out a little I bit know. yeah this is We're not what the weasleys again. meant yeah this is yeah it's not weasley <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah. it's perfect um and then we get the next line though where they have a mirror uh over the kitchen mantle and it shouts at harry tuck in your shirt scruffy which is one of those lines that i would have bet you twelve thousand dollars happened at um the leaky cauldron Cauldron. i mean i have a note right here that says does this happen at the leaky cauldron and the answer is yes there is a second mirror at the leaky cauldron which also talks to harry and is like a little snarky with him i don't think it says this exact line but it does happen again with a different mirror okay okay well that makes me feel a little bit better because i was like i I would swear up and down that that is where this scene happens. And apparently it happens here instead. And it's like, it almost seems odd to me and out of place again in the Weasley's house where it's like, it doesn't seem like they would have a rude mirror. Yeah. Right. Like if this is a mirror that has a problem with a little bit of scruff, then um, it must constantly be bothered. It's got a lot to say. It's got a lot to say. It it even seems more in line with uh, like number 12 Grimald place. Right. You know, like, like kind of right next to the the portrait of Sirius, his mother. Right. Right. Like she's yelling at you. The mirror's yelling at you like yes yeah yeah, geez man you're an embarrassment yeah exactly so uh anyway there's that uh we have the ghoul in the attic which the ghoul is always kind of one of those random things from like is the ghoul there on purpose is is it like uh did they like take it in exactly yeah yeah yeah. or is is this some type of sort of like you know some houses have ghouls (laughs) it's like you know (laughs) we can't get rid of it you got ghouls you got a ghoul you know it's like yeah it does seem like 
can you not get rid of it? Yeah. Like, what's the problem? Do you right. want it up there? It reminds me of those insurance commercials where it's like, we moved into a new house and it's it's great, but it has ants. Right. And what they mean is like like ants. Yeah, like, like A-U-N-T-S. Yes, yeah. aunts, aunts. Uh, are there. That uh, is one of the best commercials ever though it's got ants and they're (laughs) just like criticizing everything they're basically just literally aunt petunias walking around the house being like it's a lot of house yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, but i mean literally like two of the aunts in that commercial are named uh rose and joan and like my wife beth literally has an aunt rose and an aunt joan and it's just like it makes me laugh so hard that they got the names exactly right for the aunts that (laughs) that is so funny no way right that's that's like one of those like am i on the truman show joan here, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh mm-hmm. man, it's got ants. Uh, so like that, that's the question though with the ghouls. Is that is that just like having ants? They're just sort of right. it's like, well, it's something we live with. You know, you get ghouls. used to it. Yeah. There's a ghoul in the attic, and I'm like, you getting rid of that? Like, if, uh, excuse me, <laughs> it's not, not an option. It's not really. It's like, like part of the house. You don't really so get rid of it. You, you know, just, you have a ghoul. Right. You, know, you just have a ghoul. We it's like ghouls. a poltergeist. Right. But there must be some sort of delineation, or else I'd call it a poltergeist. Good point. Uh, so I don't know about that. I love how there's also it says uh, their small explosions from Fred and George's bedroom were considered perfectly normal, which just sounds like they're a thousand percent doing magic. Yeah, almost like, certainly. Like Mr. and Mrs. Weasley must have just, they just like resigned themselves. Like yes, some magic happens in the house against the rules. That like there's we cannot. It's like we cannot possibly enforce it. Yeah, no, you know? I mean, especially you know, with with the determination and will of of people like Fred and George, right? Where it's right. just sort of like there's there's really no way around it. Like they're going to do it. They will it's, do it's it. It's inevitable. Yeah. It's just like having ghouls. Exactly. There's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. It also seems crazy to me that like like even if you like took away this whole the rule seems so. I mean, the, we have, I mean I have a thousand questions and problems with the trace yeah. as a concept, but it's like even if like you like took away their wands like wandless magic is still a thing you know like would you be not allowed to do wandless magic right you know? right like like harry like making the glass disappear at the yeah, zoo or yeah but like there's the like there's like wizard schools that are canon where like they don't even use wands they just teach wandless magic right right like th- that's the thing too is that like you know you, you learn about the emotional outbursts of uh like wizards or witches who will eventually learn to harness it, it like between like birth and age like 11 ish when yeah. they get their letters for school but like there's a lot to be said for the fact that ages 11 to 17 are also like like highly emotional eras of your yeah. life where you're almost absolutely going to inadvertently be causing some amount of magic. Oh, oh yes, so, almost yeah. inadvertently. But then like even like Voldemort before he's even like uh, like Tom Riddle at age 11 is like purposefully doing yes, controlled wandless magic. That and that's one of those things too where it's like you almost have to imagine the ministry was detecting these like alerts and being like okay, we get it. Yep, we will send somebody as soon as possible with haste like we know that there is someone here who can do magic and it's like that is like it's like it's so unusual that this orphanage is having so many instances of of magic happening yeah but they had to have assumed that it was all unintentional right but that that's like a, that probably more of a testament to tom riddle's own power where that's it's true. like it's like he was doing it on purpose right yeah yeah, yeah. i love the line too so the thing that's the most different is the fact that everyone there seemed to like him and it's like oh oh what a gut punch i know it's like I know. oh my gosh 
it, it, and I mean, with I, I've said it before, but it kind of goes back to the same thing for these first few books. It's like I feel like the amount, the, the the actual genuinely limited amount of time that we ever spend with the Dursleys, and how well you inherently understand that it is not a good place for Harry to have to go back to, and then the ever looming threat of the expulsion thing. Yeah, it just seems to like keep coming up, especially like in the next couple of books as well. It's just sort of like it's like. You, it's like the main reason that that's such a dire concern other than obviously like you know missing out on like learning all this cool new magic stuff yeah it's just like it means life of the dursleys forever. it means life of the dursleys yeah, it's, like, it's like it feels like dumbledore could have just pulled up beside him and like look 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 you know follow the rules and stuff but like you're the chosen one so um like don't worry like we're going to take care of you you're not going to have to live with them yeah in, in it, the end no matter what okay? right like it's it's best if you do because protection but also, like, don't worry. Like, you're not, you're, you're, you're coming back. Dude, that would have been the nicest thing. Like, Dumbledore's whole thing is sort of like, well, I wanted to make sure you had some, some version of like a normal life. It's like, just tell him this information. I know. Tell him he is not doomed to live there forever. Right. Yeah. You don't have to know him as a chosen one. Just be like, don't worry. Right. You don't, right, you right. will not have to live there. Right. We, yeah. We, we all get it. We all get it. They are not nice. Anyway. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. It is, it yeah. is such a gut punch. Super uh, sad. Then there's uh, Mr. Weasley asking Harry how, to explain how things like plugs, and the postal service worked, which like also it's it's funny to me. There's two things about this. One, it's funny to me that he thinks a 12 year old knows how like plugs work, but because like I couldn't tell, I couldn't like describe to you the way in which like a plug works after you plug it into the wall. Oh my gosh, no, I know. I yeah. I remember the first time uh, I I had my aquarium store. Uh, back in like 2008 and I remember I was trying to install new outlets and so I like went to the store and this is not advisable by the way um, always hire an electrician instead and I was trying to like do it on my own oh, and wow. like run wires and stuff like that yeah. and I remember I had a customer who was an electrician I was like yeah I can't get this plug to work and I like showed him all the weird wiring that I did where I was just like making it up attempting to interpret like yeah. the intended like function and he was like I see your logic, but this is not even remotely close to correct. Wow. And I mean, it was like, it, it, like I had done like such a ridiculous configuration. Were you just like guessing or did you like look anything up? No, I was just guessing. Oh, yeah, wow. Just straight up guessing. Wow. Yeah, so huge hazard. Okay. In the but end. Th okay. The other thing that's about this though is that like for Mr. Weasley, who was someone who was like genuinely interested in muggle artifacts and like fascinated by them and like wants to know how they work, like you know, to me, I put, I plug it into the wall, electricity comes out, I don't think about it. Like, he is interested to know how that works. Like, how and why like, it works. But, yep. like, to me, like, and I don't know if this is just, like, in the age of the internet, which obviously he has no concept of or anything, but, like, even, like, it feels to me, like, if I wanted to know how a plug worked, I could, I could know how it worked by the end of today. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. like the information, even if I didn't have the internet, I feel like I could I could go to a library and be like, I'm looking for stuff about like electricity and how plugs work or how to install something in my home. And they'd be like, yeah, we have books about that, of course, I right know. over here. Like, it seems like if he's so fascinated, it just seems so learnable. <laughs> It, it does, but it's like you, this is, this is what I wrote down. I was, cause I, I also kind of highlighted the same area and I said, it's really so interesting to try and get into the head, uh, in perspective of someone who can perform magic because yeah. it's like, all I'm trying to think is like, if you were to go to like a remote tribe, like deep in a jungle and try to see like the way in which they were able to replicate a common piece of, uh, like technology that we're used to having, right. like, like a like a like a hammock 
or something like that, you yeah. know, and like like weaving it together out of um, like you know the the materials that are potentially on hand, or, yeah. or turning like a piece of bamboo into like a like a sleeping situation mm-hmm. or something. It's like it's it's like man, without like modern tools, it's amazing to me to see how you were able to come up with. What is otherwise a solution very similar to like what our ultimate outcome is, right? But we have like power tools and such, yeah. And so his specific line is um, ingenious, really. How many muggles have found a way of getting along without magic? And I feel like that's like, like you might go and and see like this remote tribe and be like, man, it's it's kind of brilliant that you were able to figure this out, like, right? Yeah, you know. And I, and I think that that's probably like it's like you take for granted so much of like what the technology you have at your disposal solves for you and in this case their technology isn't technology at all it's It's just magic it's just magic so i think it like certain processes that you have to figure out like because you you are forced to solve these problems you know gives you just completely different manner of thinking i guess so i guess you're like like i don't think that hard about like electricity or something but for him i'm sure it would be like wait a minute so like there's a there's like a you guys built a wall on a lake and then you let the water out, and that's turning on the lights in your house, or yes, yeah, you yeah, know, like, like, like yeah, it, it referring to building a dam, like making a dam yeah, or like yeah. hydroelectric power or something, yeah, right, 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 exactly. Um, and that's the type of thing, yeah, that must seem like so completely like, strange, right. and Foreign, yeah, I can see, I guess so, because the other thing is, I guess he is like pure blood, so it's like he has never lived in the Muggle world at all, yes, right, yeah. So maybe even like the kinds of things they'd have at li- like I don't know. It's like crazy to me that because like, but like libraries exist in the Wizarding world. It's like, does he not think libraries exist in the Muggle world? Sure, that's a good point as well. And and given his profession, it just seems like he should know given his more than the average person about how Muggle stuff works. Not only his profession, but his hobby of like yes. being able to successfully like magicify, you know, the the flying Ford Anglia. Like, yeah. Even that alone suggests like you must because he. I think he. It says he took it together and put took apart and put back together the car. Yeah. So it's like, that's an impressive amount of knowledge to then also not know how something is common. It's like a household plug would work. Right. Um, I suppose there is like this line that like technology doesn't like work at Hogwarts. There's like too much magic in the air. So like maybe the act of just being a wizard and trying to fiddle with like electronics, like it just like, even if you're doing it right, maybe it just doesn't work. Sure. Or something. Yeah. Well, and this is another one too, like where I think, um, Anything can sound like like techno babble, like uh, like the Marvel universe. I feel like, and especially I think it was Ant-Man oh, and the Wasp. Yeah. Like there's a there's a line where Scott Lang is like, you can't just throw quantum in front of everything and make it sound like important or whatever. Right. And I I think that this is like one of those where it's like, oftentimes as you're ever entering like a new arena that has a whole bunch of like terminology and everything attached to it. Yeah. Um. Certain things can sound highly complicated and your preliminary understanding of how those things work yeah. can then make you feel like you know a lot about a given topic. So like again if I were to go like back into my aquarium days it's like if I were to start explaining to you like solenoid valves on my calcium reactor or something like that like that might sound like techno babble right. and if somebody was like like attempting to sound smart to me about aquariums in reference that they know what a calcium reactor is, it would become very obvious to me very quickly whether or not they actually know how one works right. or if they've ever used one before mm-hmm. because like it is a complex thing. So it can, it's like you might know the vernacular, you might know to ask, oh, do you run a calcium reactor? And that's very different from knowing how one works. Right, sure. Um, and and so I think sometimes, that, I don't know, yeah. So I, I, I think that like his his lack of knowledge, I think, 
Like it it seems it, it does seem surprising to me, but I also like I I feel like I also get it. I th- I think that there's something there. So I don't know. But yeah, M- Mr. Weasley and his fascination with all things Muggles. Like, I mean, it's just like I think the number of times I could probably write just like and I and I even scribbled it in at least uh, one other line uh, where he asked about the escapata- escapators. The ins- oh, like uh, escalators. Yeah. yeah, I just said, LOL. I love <laughs> Mr. Weasley. I feel like I could do that, like with everything he asks. Yeah. I'm just always like, I'm just so interested in all the questions he he wants to know more about. Right. Yeah. What? What? Why has this thing stood out to you amongst all of the muggle inventions? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. OK, well, speaking of which they get their letters uh, from school and uh, Mr. Weasley points out that Dumbledore already knows you're here. Harry doesn't miss a trick that man. Um, or he at yes. So which to me, I think is interesting that like so when Mr. Weasley sees this, he attributes Dumbledore's knowledge or d- the fact that the owl came to Harry is Dumbledore is the one who addressed the letters and sends them out. So does that mean that Dumbledore was the one like tracking Harry around last year through the different rooms of the Dursley's house and to the hotel and to the hut on the rock and stuff like that? I, I feel like it has to be right like you know and, and this is another one that, another one where it's like maybe this is like the trace coming in like in a good way like like where it's kind of like now we know the exact like like positioning although that would break down very quickly once you applied it to like Fred and George having explosions coming from their room right you know, yeah it would be like you know third floor on the left you know, right room with bunk beds or whatever. Yeah, I could, it's just interesting. I was assume there's some sort of like magic to the owls and the way they just know where stuff is because like like fast forward to Goblet of Fire. Harry will send Hedwig to like go find Sirius and he'll be like, take this to Sirius. And like he has no idea where not even like on Earth Sirius is because he's like switching countries and stuff. True, you know, true, yes. and Hedwig will find him. Right. And it's just like, well, how did that work? You know, like that, that I do think is magic. Yeah, I think right. It's got to be like magical positioning or, or something about the owls that like is is very unique, which also makes you wonder whether or not these are magical owls versus like your everyday owls. Oh, right. Yeah, because like, there are difference between, yes, magical owls and regular owls or all owls magical or. Oh, I like that better. Yeah. I like, all owls are magical. All owls are magical. Just there's too many of them and muggles know about them. Yes, exactly. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Right, no, right. I, that's that's the that's the preferred way of thinking. All right. So anyway, they get there. Um, this is where your uh, other your next introduction to Gildor Lockhart here is that you see that the second year students or basically every single year's worth of students requires every single uh, Gilderoy Lockhart book, which has got to be just one of the greatest scams ever. Like, I know hey, he's got to be making like a flat out killing so much like every, I mean, he's selling. I mean, how many books do they have to get of his uh, seven? There are seven Gilderoy Lockhart books and like what? At least 200 students at Hogwarts. I mean, he is just selling books like crazy right now yes no it's it's and it's hilarious to me because you literally get the standard book of spells grade two by miranda goshawk which this is like a fun continuity thing where it's like there's a standard book of spells for every year and it's always written by miranda goshawk yeah so that's a fun like throwback but that like it it stands to reason though that like back in their first year when they bought like fantastic beasts and where to find them by newt's commander it's like there are certain books that you're just able to use year in year out because oh right that's the other thing too is that like in my mind i was like did he somehow convince like snape like is is holiday with hag somehow like a potions book you know like like these or are all of these books attached to the defense against the dark arts class that they're going to be taking i've assumed that they are all 
specifically for Defense Against the Dark Arts. So that would normally mean that for, for, se for second-year students, you would typically only actually need two books, whatever the DADA uh, book would be and then the standard book of spells grade two. Oh, you know, the, I see what you mean. Yeah, like if Lockhart wasn't there, would you only have to buy like two books? Yes. Yes. Or, I, you know, I've always sort of assumed that we just don't get to see the rest of the list. They just sort of stop there. I guess that's also possible. But yeah. you're right. Otherwise, that'd be interesting too if you just had it. Because other, yeah, you're right. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or like A Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi. Yes. Um, could still conceivably just be like, yes, you are still, we're going to, we didn't cover all a thousand in the first year. Right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah only yeah. covered one eighth. Right. One and you, yeah. you're still going to be using a lot of them for potions and stuff like that. So, right. whatever. Um, or, yeah, whatever the potions book was. Like, probably didn't make every single potion in the book or whatever. So, yeah, that would be crazy if it's like instead of having to buy like two books per student, you now have to buy like eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is yes. also, it seems so silly to me that, um, like it seems like such a red flag that if you're that that every single year because Fred and George's list are the same so it's like why are the books the same for each different year of defense against the dark arts like why would it seems weird to me that like second year students would need the same books as like seventh year students Oh, I know. Well, I mean, right. and that's the thing is that it's like I, I wonder if at all like part of like Lockhart, like I wonder if Lockhart has an agent and Lockhart's agent was like, sure, he'll come teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. Right. Every single student needs to buy his entire collection. Exactly. You know, and yeah. it's just like it's like because, I mean, and when it really comes down to it, it doesn't seem very likely at all that Lockhart has any intention of successfully teaching them anything at all. Oh, I know. I just like imagine imagine you just see it seems so obvious that you'd be a fraud so quickly, like like especially like the seventh year students or something. You know, like because he doesn't he doesn't really teach anyone anything. He just tells them stories. Oh, I know. Yeah. And yeah, it's of like his own heroics of his own heroics. And it just seems like you would be so it'd be so obvious that you weren't good at doing anything. I know. Well, I mean, again, this goes back to that Dumbledore's big plan thing where it's like Lockhart is specifically hired. Yes. For one key purpose. Would you, yeah. To show Harry how not to be. Yes. Precisely. <laughs> basically. Yep. Uh, anyway, um, let's see. There's um <laughs> there's a, so after we get this there uh, Harry speaks to Ginny and he says oh were you starting at Hogwarts this year yeah. <laughs> like this at this point Harry has lived there for like a week and so like a week later it hasn't come up at all that Ginny is going to Hogwarts this year I know like, I know poor Ginny who's sitting there like literally speechless in love with Harry. Right. And he, he hasn't even taken enough notice to know that she's going to school this right, year. Right, right, right. Yes, yeah. Like, oh. It's like, oh, come on, Harry, man. Pick up on something. Jeez, like, dude. Th th this is like another one of those where it's also like, like him and Ron have just also been best friends for a whole year. It's kind of right. like when he like got into his room and didn't like, it was like, oh, you like the Chudley Cannons, huh? It's yeah. Like, somehow this didn't come up from our whole year of friendship. It's it, like <laughs> at no point in time it was relevant news that like I have a younger sister who will be starting next year. Yeah. Like, yeah. This actually, you know what this reminds me of though? It, it, it doesn't, maybe it is a little more believable because some days like I will come home from work and my wife Beth will be like, how was uh, everyone's weekend? You know, what everyone get up to? And I'll be like, oh, I guess, um, uh, ben and Alice went to some restaurant or, you know, whatever, whatever you told me, I'll just say that back verbatim. And then she'll have like seven follow up questions about it, like who did they go with or like what did they get or, you know, like who watched Addie or whatever. And I'm just like, mm, <laughs> yes, there were more questions ben, I could have asked. Ben went to dinner and 
that's what I know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so not nearly as much information. As right. That's a good point. Yeah, it was like, but it does, uh, on that note, though, um, it does seem like sports would have come up for Ron and Quidditch and the Chudley Cannons. It does. It does indeed. Yeah. Yeah. With your with your best bud. Yeah. Um, uh, in other news, though, then we've got um, uh, Percy entering the scene. He mm-hmm. was already dressed like uh, I love how he was already dressed and it was like it's almost like I'm judging him for already being dressed because Fred and George came in, in their pajamas and it's like, well, clearly Fred and George have it right. And I'm like, what would he be doing already being dressed? Um, but then it says his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his sweater vest and I wrote in his own home audible eye roll <laughs> like, why are you wearing the badge around outside of school dude right it has no authority here I know it's just like I wanted you all to remember in case you forgot that I'm a prefect yes yes indeed the we, highest honor anyone could have at this age we have not forgotten person yes no one has forgotten it does seem silly to wear it around that'd be like you may as well just be wearing your school uniform around the house be like dude we're not in class yet what are you doing I know I know yeah. it's so true yeah, it's so true. But then, I mean, on the flip side, though, we'll find out in a few minutes that Hermione has been like feverishly working away uh, on schoolwork all summer break, and it's yes. like it's like, well, maybe maybe they have some similarities. There is some of that. I mean, there is there are some similarities between them. Yeah, I highlighted that as well. Where um, in Hermione's letter she says, "I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course," and uh, Ron's like, "How can she be?" Said Ron and Horror, "We're on vacation," and it's like that's true. And yet, the very next year, I think they do have homework over summer break. Do they? I think so, because like Harry is like, it's like Harry Potter was not like most kids. For one, he wanted to be doing his schoolwork. Ah, it's, true, true, true. And, and yeah. then it's like, it's like one of those like, let me remind you how much Snape hates Harry who because he would love nothing more than to give him a failing grade and on the first day. Right. Or yep. something. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. But it's like also, but like, yeah, he's right. How can she be? Because they don't, they don't apparently have homework this time. Well, I know. And then the other thing that I wrote in here was like, she also like, like we know that in about a week they're going to meet up to get their uh to get their books right. so it's like it's not even like she's just like studying the books that she's going to need for the upcoming oh yeah it's not like she's got new books and she's like well i'm doing schoolwork in the ways that i'm reading my new books exactly right which is always one of those things like when like whenever i think about hermione doing this i'm like man how much would I absolutely have crushed school if before the school year started, I had already read the whole textbook? Oh, that'd be crazy. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd be so ahead. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. If only I was so motivated to be great at school when I was 11. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't. Not so yep. much. Oh, well. Uh, Maybe if you're like a wizard, though, and you have to go back to the muggle world and just live with your dentist parents, and they're just like, Hermione, you're so great. And she's like, she's probably just dying to get back there the whole time. Like, It seems like it, because her, Hermione spends next to no time whatsoever with her family. I know, yeah. She's <laughs> like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, it's like it's like year one holiday, she goes home, and then I feel like every other occasion after that, she's pretty much like, yeah, no, I'm gonna go and stay with the Weasleys. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's I'm pretty gonna much stay it. school this year. Yes. All right, so um, there's uh, so there's fun trivia on the next page here, where well, there's a couple of things that happen. One, they all go to play like Quidditch and stuff, and I think they like ask Percy to come with them. They yeah, they'd ask Percy if he wanted to join them, but he said he was busy, which is like a little bit little bit more of that like, what could you be busy with, dude? Yeah. But it is interesting that they ask Percy because it means like at some point there must have been a point in their childhood where like Fred and George and Bill and Charlie and and like Percy. 
would go play Quidditch together. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yep. he could go play Quidditch. Like they don't think he couldn't do it. Right. You right. know, which is kind of like you never imagine Percy being athletic in any capacity at all, but he must be enough to the point where they included him. Right. Right. Which right. So is like, interesting. What, it's hard to imagine Percy on a broom. It is extremely hard to imagine, though. Although in the same note, they do ask Percy who does not join them, but they don't ask Ginny. What's which up with is, that? I yeah. know, which is like such a bummer because she's like actually turns out to be amazing at it. So I know. I, know. I think that's funny. That is funny. Um, but so then there's this other line about how, you know, everyone loves Harry's Nimbus 2000, which was easily the best broom. But then Ron's old shooting star was often outstripped by passing butterflies. And I'm always like, which one? Sometimes I'll think about like when we're like up at the lake, um, like uh, or our little like Vermont cabin. Yes. I, there's been times where we've been like, you know, zipping along on the boat and I'll have noticed there's like a butterfly keeping pace with the boat. And I'll be like, <laughs> what is happening here? It's like how fast are butterflies? <laughs> what would have been even funnier is if you were like in that moment looking at the butterfly following the boat and being like, man, Ron's broom is so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think what's happening in that case is that the butterfly is getting in some sort of slipstream and that's how it's keeping up with the boat because I do not think they're that fast. I know. Um, yeah. What is the average wind speed velocity? Wind of speed a of a. So I learned this about butterflies. The way they fly is with both up and down of their wings. Okay. It's like when they flap down, that is how they go up. And then when they're like, when they close at the top, they like touch and that's what propels them forward. So they like press down to go up and then flap back to go forward. Oh, that's amazing. I know. I was Gosh. like, boy, that was a really fun fact I learned over the weekend. Man. Any, anyway, I'll only bring this up. The point is that Ron shooting star, the point is that butterflies are slow and Ron shooting star is even slower than a butterfly. I, yeah. Like based on Harry's own assessment here, my question is like, is this hyperbole? Like, or is it actually that? Slow? No, I think it is. Okay. Because so I looked this up. Um, so in, in Quidditch through the ages, we learned that um, the shooting star brooms were started being produced in 1955 by Universal Brooms Limited, um, which even even when they came out, like even a brand new shooting star, if you got it, was considered like cheap and sort of poor, poor quality. And they were known for losing speed over the years. OK, so like the longer you have it, the slower it will go. Um, so and that said, the the company goes out of business in 1978. So Ron's broom at this point is minimum 14 years old, uh, if not like 26 years old. <laughs> so it's like it was it was not good to begin with, right? <laughs> and then continued to be like worse, worse, right? Yeah. yeah. So even brand new, not great. And now he has a really old crummy broom. So it actually uh, makes sense that uh, his he's passed by butterflies. Although at this point, it just seems like he's if you're passed by butterflies, you're just sort of sitting on like a floating stick. I know. You know? Yeah, I know. It's like it seems it seems so slow. The other thing is, I mean, what's kind of hilarious about this, though, because we know that Charlie Weasley was exceptionally good at Quidditch. Yeah, what it almost reminds me of. And this is going to seem like such a such like a, a geeky or nerdy uh, comparison to such a such a jock driven sport. Yeah, but I do remember having a computer game when we were kids called Tiberian Sun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. It was so much fun. Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun. Exactly. Um, and I remember we had this like really old computer. And we it did. Was so painstakingly slow. And so the end result was that like you were really bad at the game because everything took forever to lose. Yes. And it was like one of these things where I was like, I basically never won a game ever. And then I remember going over to one of your friend's houses and I think you guys were playing out on the trampoline and they had like a brand new computer and I sat down to play it. And I was like, 
I am like a god in this game right, right. Now because everything loads as fast as it's supposed to. So it's like I am unbeatable. I do remember this exact phenomenon happening to myself where like, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, it was like a real time strategy game where, you know, you'd have to like build a base and you could build units and you'd go attack another base. And it was like, I mean, it was so I would play it today. Oh, I absolutely like I've played other real time strategy games. Not as fun. Like nothing has ever lived up to Tiberian to Tiberian sun in my mind. And I have even looked in in our in the present in 20 like 24 like for ways to play. Like, is it on Steam? Can I do it? It's like, no, for whatever reason, they haven't they haven't, you know, brought it up the line yes to play yet but Man, some so. someday i'll relive the glory that is tiberian sun but i remember yeah sitting there like you know I, I think if you wanted to make like infantry in that game i remember on a fast computer you could make them about as fast as you could click yes you know it was like click and they're ready and uh, on our computer it was like the, it would they were still the fastest thing you could make but it would take like 30 seconds for one to be like trained or whatever yes and let me tell you that's way slower like way 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 slower games could take like four hours yeah no it was know. it was it was crazy so the really the the big thing that, that stands out to me that would be like if charlie was was training on these brooms yeah and like potentially even if he like had the school broom which was just like a little bit faster right it's like all of a sudden it's like wow right like, like took the ankle weights off didn't we yes yeah yes. because i mean it seems like all the weasleys are so good that's you know, true that's Quidditch, true maybe so. this is like their secret strategy yes it's yes. like goku training with the weighted clothing that's it yes precisely exactly man and in high gravity. Raise your hand if you followed every reference we just made just now. Absolutely, you did. I'm sure you did. I know people. People are. They, it's like they they come for the <laughs> the Harry Potter deep dive, the, and then they stay for the Tiberian Sun. They stay for the <laughs> Tiberian Sun Dragon Ball Z comparisons. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay, but Ben, one of my favorite theories ever spawns from the next paragraph here. Um, which where they're trying to wonder like what Percy's doing in his room all summer. Uh, and Fred says, wish I knew what he was up to. He's not himself. His exam results came back the day before yours did 12 OWLs and he hardly gloated at all. 12 OWLs, Ben. Do you know what's crazy about that? Is that Hermione doesn't even get 12. Hermione OWLs. doesn't get 12. She gets 10, I believe, right? Because she drops two classes uh, and she gets obviously an OWL in every class she's taking. But uh, before that, she was taking all 12 classes, yeah. which means and and the only way she was able to do it was by the use of a time turner. Yes. Meaning that Percy is also taking all 12 classes and gets an, I guess, a, a passing grade in all 12, which means Percy almost definitely also had to be using a time turner. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. And then Bill as well, because Bill got 12 too. Bill got 12 too. And honestly, it's sort of like, it almost makes more. I almost like this better because it makes more sense that Hermione is given one. It's as if, like, yes, frequently this is a solution to the problem. Right. Like right. we have to like do some. We have to fill some paperwork out, and we have to like make exceptions. But like, yes, students are. There are just good students, a lot. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and and I think that you're exactly right. Like, it does. It sets the baseline for like. Hermione getting one to uh, to a point that is like much more like it makes much more sense because I think the three people that we know get twelve OWLs are um, Percy, Bill, and Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah, Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah, yeah. Which which means he had one too. Oh my gosh! Which I mean, whew. it's not surprising that Barty Crouch Jr. gets one either because I mean he's so good. Like I, it is such a tr it is such a bummer to me 
that you don't get to see him in action outside of being Mad-Eye Moody. I know. Because, like, he, I mean, that guy was so dangerous. I know, I know, ah. yeah. If, if, if you could imagine just, like, like, like uh, year five where there's Bellatrix and Barty Crouch Jr., it's like yeah. Voldemort's basically unstoppable. Right. Like, what is okay? The other interesting thing about like Percy getting twelve OWLs is that it means he gets an OWL in divination. I know, you know, like, like he's he successfully does it. So like, does Percy have any amount of like like good at predicting the futureness about him? Because like when Harry goes to do it, he has to like look in a crystal ball or something, and like you know, either something happens or it doesn't. I, yeah, it feels like one of those classes that like defies traditional like um, like studiousness. Yeah. So it's like he must have been able to like crack the code on Trelawney somehow. Right. Yeah. Because Trelawney would have been his professor, and like we sort of know she's like like she's a bit of a fraud. Well, it's hard to say. It's like her teaching is fraudulent, even though she herself is constantly making correct predictions and is a true seer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's a good point. She, and yet. Percy gets an OWL. Yeah, he did. So it. Maybe it's a lot off. of outside studying. I don't know. Could be. Could be. But yeah, that's always that's pretty interesting to me. And uh, in my head, there's no doubt about it. Percy, a thousand percent, had a time turner. Uh, maybe even still does. I don't know. You think so? Well, I don't oh, know. Maybe uh, like for classes. Past. Maybe for classes now, or would you maybe not? Maybe you like narrow in at this point and start dropping some classes. Yeah, because I mean, you take fewer classes at NEWT status anyway. That's true. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see being more Yeah, specific. so at this point, back down. Back down. But so he'd have been three years of time turnering. Probably. Amazing. At least. On the very uh, next page, there was another theory. Boy, this, this chapter was just full of them. Surprisingly, I don't remember like referencing this particular chapter a lot, but um, this is when Harry first gets introduced to flu powder. Yes. Yes, yep. because he's going to accidentally end up in Nocturne Alley here in a second. Um, and this, like, the way that flu powder works um, is, this is one of my, like, just one of my favorite theories that we've ever come up with is... Uh, and our theory is that it is just made. The secret formula for flu powder is made with phoenix ashes. Yes. 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 Because, um, like as you know, uh, in Order of the Phoenix, I'm sure you remember. At one point, even though you cannot magically transport yourself in and out of Hogwarts to, by, via um, traditional like apparition, Dumbledore is still able to utilize Fox to like basically travel by fire yes. out of the castle. Yep. So like it is a way uh, so you know that phoenixes can travel by fire in like a teleportation fashion extremely similar to flu powder which is you know you use fire to travel from one place to another basically like by teleporting. Yep. It, you can use flu powder inside of Hogwarts and obviously Fox also works inside of Hogwarts so yep. like whatever limits are there are not there but then there's like the person who created it Ignatia Wildsmith Smith, that sounds right yep. who I think I want to say had like this random second coming when Hogwarts Legacy came out because like the way you move around the map is with like the flu powder and stuff like that oh, okay. the stations. Gotcha, but gotcha, yeah. every time you like pass one of her little statues she like says one of like two lines to you and so people are like super annoyed with Ignatia. Okay, but okay. Anyway, besides the point, um, there's like this weird like Pottermore article about her where it's like they never answer the door if you knock on the door and dying an alley that like th like for whatever reason they will not answer the door if you knock on it, which is just like a random inclusion. Why is that? But then also they're the only known producers of flu powder ever. 
and they claim that the price of flu powder will be two sickles no matter what forever and like it will not change which is like there's a but like why is all why are all of these things included what what a bunch of random anomalies and stuff but it's like our theory was that um, the reason they don't answer the door is because they don't want you to come in and see how they're making the flu powder. Right. And the reason Highly they have such a constant supply of it and have had such a constant supply of it for such a long time is because they're just harvesting Phoenix ashes. And so they have a continuous never ending supply because the Phoenixes are always just completely reborn. Right. So you would never like there yeah. is no like normally prices are dictated by supply and demand. Right. Um, and there is a like the supply for it is uh, is a, it's a static constant. Exactly. You have and I think the other thing that we that we added into this theory is that it also explains possibly where Ollivander is getting his phoenix feathers. Exactly. It does because he advertises that he uses unicorn tail hairs, dragon heartstrings or phoenix feathers, but in the canon, at least during Harry's time, the only two phoenix feather wands we know of are Harry's and Voldemort's. Right. And if those are the only two he's made in the last 50 years, then like he can hardly advertise that he uses all three. Right. It's like right, I right. use two and I've I could do others. But like and but to that end, we know exactly where those two fail, tail feathers came from because they're both from Fox. Exactly. So it's yeah. like if you're making them, you would need a constant supply. And like Phoenixes are not easy to tame. No. Like at all. So like how are you getting such ready supply to Phoenix tail feathers outside of the two that were gifted to you 50 years ago? It's like, uh, maybe it's the guy selling flu powder three shops down that won't answer the door <laughs> because you just harvest the tail feathers. They burn. They collect the ashes. Fantastic. Boom. Boom. Bam. There you go. That's how flu powder works. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. No, I love it. I love it. It Bam. totally makes sense to me. Yep. Yep, I'm I'm all for it, um, but anyway, then you get like another an, an, in addition uh, to this, you kind of get like another like glimpse and kind of understanding into well, it, it's it's interesting because I think the economic system within the wizarding world is just so 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 very different. Yes, um, where like the Weasleys are definitely regarded, you know, as like being stretched thin financially speaking. Yeah, but like they also don't seem to um, like food seems to be perfectly a plenty right you know so it's like there are certain demands financially on them um that i think like it, it's i, I think it kind of gets like very wholesome into their nature which is that like they're just not status driven people right and, and therefore like like it could be like one of these things where it's like maybe like there's like the malfoys would would and we even see it in this very chapter, like take pity on the Weasleys for being so like, you know, poor or whatever, but it's like only poor in the way that you perceive. Right. Poor. Yeah, right. It's like, cause like, I mean, yeah, it's like, you're right. Food doesn't seem to be like a, a concern, which I think falls under like Gamp's law of transfiguration, fast forward to Deathly Hallows or whatever. Like if you right. have some, you can make more of it. So it's sort of like, Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Plus, they have a garden, so whatever you know, they're growing. They can just have know, whatever, whatever they harvest. They can multiply. Right. If you can grow a tomato, we can have all tomatoes. All tomatoes yeah. all the time. And you have to imagine, like, they probably don't have like a mortgage or whatever. You know, it seems like True. wizards can just construct their houses. Right. You yep. know, does I don't feel like they bought the burrow. <laughs> you know, they just built it. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. That's my understanding of it. Anyway, 
Um, but yeah, like wizard economics is so weird because you're right. Like so many of the things you would traditionally think of as like needing to spend money on, they can just do with magic. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. Precisely. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by a better help. Let me tell you what I wish I had more time between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility. Life keeps me so busy so much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because 
because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And, and we have a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code max pool. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Yep. Um, but either which way, you do still feel for them in this chapter a little bit because they're, of course, running low on the uh, the flu powder and they're sort of like already just coming on the heels of being like five sets of Lockhart books and Ginny needs robes and a wand and everything. It's like, whew, okay, it's going to be a big day. To me, it feels like Fred and George should probably share and that like probably they're not going to read them anyway. <laughs> that was exactly yeah. my thoughts. It was like <laughs> Fred and George are going to see through Lockhart in no time flat. Right. You know, because I think that's it probably. It's like I keep saying this and it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit, but like I feel like Fred and George as characters stand out to me in such a huge way in this like very uh, careful dissection that we're doing here on the podcast. Yeah. Where it's just like I'm like sort of just so like on board and supportive of everything that they do. Yeah. Um, but like it, to me, it's the type of thing like where Fred and George will care as much in class as is needed to help them accomplish their own goals. Yeah. But like, which might sound sort of like, like, well, that's not going to make the world's greatest student, but it also, I feel like would, would make it very clear to me that, that like, that's why they would see through Lockhart so quickly. It's like, there's nothing we can get from you. Right. You exactly. don't have anything to offer us. Showmanship, Ben. Yes, yeah. Showmanship. Like, yeah, yeah. But they also have like they have their own flair for showmanship. So they that's also true. like they see it for what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. I wonder if there is something that like they take away from Lockhart, like in that capacity. It's like, like, are you like actually like, you know, it's like when it's, it, the, it's the example. I think I brought it up last week where. You know, Hermione. They're they're doing their demonstration with the skiving snack boxes, and you know, Hermione's like, "Oh, that's not useful." And Ron's like, "They've made twenty six galleons already." You know, right, it's like, right, right. I mean, it's useful, sort of. Right. <laughs> you know, the they're not flowing. accomplishing anything, but they are getting money, and it's like that's a lot of what Lockhart's doing. I mean, they are definitely more talented wizards than Lockhart by oh, leaps yeah. and bounds. But like, there is certainly something to like the hey. A good showman can make money as much as anyone else. You right, know. right. You know, there's, there's some value here. Plus, to your earlier point from that from that chapter art with like his clashing attire, I'm pretty sure that when we hear about the outfits that Fred and George are wearing mm -hmm. when when they go in to Weasley Weasley's Wizard Weasley's, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're clashing. Oh, okay. They're, they're like like kind of like like so over the top in like a completely different way. Right. But <laughs> either way. So. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, so then Harry has to go do the flu powder for the first time. And I feel like they do not give him enough instructions. I feel like they're just like, there's so many fireplaces to choose from. And it's like, wait, what? What do you mean? I could, huh? I know, I know, no, yeah. I was trying to think of what a good example for something like this would be in everyday life. And I, the only thing I could think of is sort of like the way that each individual person has their own like computer set up and like yeah. where, like which direction the mouse wheel scrolls. Oh, or yeah. Or like the speed of the cursor or, um, like the way that like folders are aligned or if you have like all of your icons hidden or something like that. Like, you know, it's one of those things where you're so used to the way 
that like you interact with something that you that you have such your like your own personal imprint mm-hmm. like laid upon. But then like if you try and go and use somebody else's computer, it's like you know how to use a computer perfectly well. You do it every single day. If you go and try and use someone else's with the upside down scroll wheel, it's like what am I even doing over Ugh. here? You know, like I am so lost. So it's like I can't I, I can't even think of the types of things I would try to instruct somebody if they were attempting to like use all of my. Right, weird little quirks and configurations. Yeah, so maybe that's like this, where it's like it's like it's not that hard. Just go and like point the cursor at the thing and click. And yeah, it's like, you got it. Yeah, but it goes the wrong way. Right, I clicked on something. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, but there's like a thousand things you clicked on. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. It could be something like that. Um. Anyway, Harry goes in there and he doesn't speak clearly enough. He gets like one great over and ends up in Borgen and Burks in Nocturne Alley, which is sort of like interesting to me that if you if he just if you were trying to go to Nocturne Alley and you said Nocturne Alley, would you show up in the shop? That's a good question too. Yeah, th- this is like <laughs> kind of like one of those where like the movie does like the whole like diagonally, yeah, you know, thing, um, which I feel like was mostly just for people who hadn't realized yet that Diagon Alley is diagonally. Yes, diagonally, um, and yeah. Nocturne Alley is nocturnally. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, there, it's wordplay, people. Got it. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. Um, but th- to me, I think what's happening is that he, I think they even explained like he must have like mispronounced it or uh, mispronounced it like because he coughed because of the hot ash in his mouth or whatever. Yeah. But I think what's really happening here is just simply that like you're supposed to like look for the right fireplace and then like he misses it by like one. Yeah. Um. But I, I would be curious to know like even in Diagon Alley if there's just like a like a like a fireplace that just like is open to like the center. Oh, of to the like market. the center of the street. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it also seems like if you were to like arrive there at the same time as somebody else, like would you just like fall on top of them? I know. Something? Right. Like I'm also kind of surprised that like, you know, because he does show up just in the middle of the shop, like just appears out of their fireplace, like that. It's not like that. No one notices that like, is it Mr. Borgen? Who's there? The, uh, he doesn't like notice Harry, like arrive in the fireplace. Oh, true. You know, true, he true, just sort of like pops into the shop. He's right. Just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but in any case, Harry shows up in Borgen and Burks in Nocturne Alley, um, where just, I mean, th- this is such a fun little bit here where the Malfoys come in and he's hiding from them. Uh, there's evil looking masks staring down from the walls, which are almost certainly like the Death Eater masks, I right? Wrote, I wrote the exact same thing. I was like, I had not caught this in the past. Me neither. Like, are they Death Eater masks? I mean, probably. Probably. Based on the rest of the stuff in here. Well, I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, you got the hand on the withered, uh, the a withered hand on a cushion, which is uh, the hand of glory, which yep. we know Malfoy eventually does end up getting. Yep. Um, there's the, the evil looking masks. And then we also, of course, have the cabinet that Harry crawls into. That oh, my God. I know like one of the vanishing cabinets and the opal necklace that says it's like claim the lives of like 15 yeah, ex- muggles. Right, right, right. So there's that um, 19 which, muggles. Yes. Which so the um, the opal necklace shows up again in book six when um, Malfoy is trying to kill Dumbledore. This is one of the he buys this necklace that we read about in this chapter. Yes. And it's the one that Katie Bell touches with just like a little like bit of her finger and she like floats up in the air and is almost killed herself. Right. And then yeah, the uh the, the vanishing cabinet, 
Um, it's almost somewhere. There's like a line. It says Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. He shot inside it and pulled the doors closed, leaving a small crack to peer through, which is like kind of funny because like if he'd shut the cabinet the whole way, would he have ended up at Hogwarts? Oh, that would have you been know? so weird. Because at this point, Peeves hasn't broken the other one. Yeah. Right. True. Yeah. So like, I guess we don't know if there's like an attached like incantation or or any type of like like intention needed. Yeah. But that's a good, good point. Like, yeah. it, like, is it possible that if he doesn't leave that crack that Harry ends up? Yeah. Just at Hogwarts. At like Hogwarts. what just yeah. happened? That would have been so wild. That would have, that would have been pretty wild. Cause that is the same cabinet that they eventually used to break in. Um, and then yeah, Draco buys the necklace. He buys the hand of glory at some point, even, um, this is sort of interesting. There's Dr- the Lucius is there selling poisons from his house. Uh, to Mr. Borgen, like that's what he's there to do. Oh, you're right. right. Yeah. And Draco, uh, like I'm wondering, like does Draco buy the poisons back to put in the mead to that he tries to sell Dumbledore? Wow, the ones that ends up poisoning yeah. Ron. Right. Whoa. I right. Bet so yes. I know. Yeah. So it's like I feel like Draco is like given the task to kill Dumbledore, and he's like, okay. Um, I'm going to Borgen and Burks. I'm going to see what kind of tools I can get here. And he like buys the necklace, buys the poison, buys the hand. Like, I know, you know, like number one new customer. I know, number one. And then uses the cabinet in the shop. It's all like, book six stuff. Too. It's all books. And I guess he could have even identified the cabinet because it's in book five that Montague gets stuck in the cabinet. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's all book six stuff like Malfoy, like just spots a bunch of stuff on this particular visit that yeah. he eventually comes back and gets all of it and like uses a bunch of it to try and kill Dumbledore pretty unsuccessfully. Um, except for I guess he gets the Death Eaters in with the with the cabinet, so there's that. Yes, but yes, indeed. Yeah, so I, that was just a. It's such a fun chapter in that regard. Yeah, no, it's it's super super well. I I know yeah. I kept highlighting stuff, and I was like, oh, this shows up later. This shows up later. Yeah. Um, super super interesting. I love the thing about the poison though. That's that's a that's a good catch. Right. Um. So then the the next thing we get to see though is sort of the relationship between Draco and. Uh, Lucius and Lucius we're meeting for the very first time. Ever. Yes, we are. Um, the thing that I found to be kind of interesting about this <clears throat> is that forever and ever, I've always sort of said that, like, I feel like Draco uh, is almost just the exact like equivalent of Dudley in the wizarding world. Like he's just been grown up, like being told he's like the most special thing ever. And right. Like blah, blah, blah. And, and I feel like this chapter at the very least kind of gives you like a slightly different perspective. Like I feel like Lucius is harder on Draco in a way that the Dursleys are never hard on Dudley. Yeah. Like there's a bit more expectation being set. There's a bit more like protocol and manners and, that type of thing, right? Sort of being like not not from a good place from Lucius's perspective. No, I'm not giving him a father of the year award. Certainly not. Um, but he does he does have a bit more intensity than we ever see from the Dursleys towards Dudley, right? Um, so then it's interesting though that while the why they are there. Uh, Malfoy says that, as you've heard, the ministry is conducting more raids, said Mr. Malfoy. And he's like, I have a few uh, items at home that might embarrass me if the ministry were to call. And he's there selling poisons, but it's like Mr. Weasley was doing raids, presumably for muggle artifacts. So it's like, does does Miss, does Lucius have like a bunch of like misused muggle items at his house? That's that they would be, you know, too. like yeah. that they'd be raiding for? Unless the entire ministry is performing raids in each of their respective departments. I suppose that's true, which always seems possible. But he also does name Arthur Weasley 
uh, in this exact exchange. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so yeah. It, it does seem seem possible. Um, I suppose, yeah, like, and, and specifically says there are rumors about a new Muggle Protection Act. No doubt that flea bitten Muggle loving fool Arthur Weasley, such a mean, mean person, <laughs> talking oh. about my boy Arthur. <laughs> oh man. Um, um, let's see. It's also, I think, later on. Maybe we'll come up with this later when they talk about the rate. Yeah, when when they use the Polyjuice potion later in the book, they'll learn. Like Draco tells them that those like they don't know about like the the secret basement or whatever or something. Yes. Which yeah, I yeah. think is later what they use as like the prison or as like the dungeon for like Ollivander and Luna and Dean Thomas and stuff in Deathly Hallows. Yes. Yes. Right, yes. yes. Yeah. Which, which seems like its own sort of like magical stronghold kind of like Hogwarts. Like you right. can apparate in and out of it. Exactly. And all sorts of stuff. Unless yeah. you're a house elf. Unless you're a house elf. Right. But of course, sir. I'm an elf. <laughs> I'm an elf. <laughs> That's one of my favorite moments. That's right. Let's see. Um, I think there is uh, speaking of like Malfoy's like expectations. There's like, you know, he's yelling at Mr. Borgen for like trying to say like my son will amount to more than a thief. And it says like, though, if his grades don't pick up and Malfoy tries to like bl blame Hermione and like Lucia sort of calls him out on it. And he's like, uh, no, it's not her fault. It's your fault. Yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> like, that, that's a thing where it's like, like, and it's interesting to me as well. Because I mean, this is again, I mean, if you compare it to Dudley, <laughs> like it seems like the Dursleys can't see Dudley's faults. Right. Um, and so on some level, this could be like the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, you know, sometimes people who grow up with parents who are too demanding, it can cause its own, you know, sort of like like struggles and stuff. Yeah. But the thing that kind of surprises me is that like the more we get to know Draco as a student, he seems to be a pretty high achieving student. Right. Like, like he gets like uh, an outstanding in potions at the very least, and he's able to take you know, the NEWT level eventually, he's able to learn uh, legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, where, or occlumency, I guess. Um, yeah. In some ways, he sort of like does have a point. He's like, it's not my fault that, you know, it's like, it's not my fault, you know, Hermione Granger's so good at school or whatever. And it's like, he's not entirely wrong. It's like, for all we know, Draco is like second in the class. Oh, sure. You sure, know, sure. And it's just like, if not for freaking Hermione Granger coming in, being like the smartest witch of 10 generations here. I would be doing just fine, Dad. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, like that would even be interesting if that's the interpretation of this scene. Because, like, if like, especially if if Drake was getting like straight A's, right? But he's not the top student, <laughs> right? Like that would be such a situation where like Drake would have absolutely a point because he does even classify it as favorites. Like you know. It's not like that he had the bad grades. It's just like the teachers have their favorites, you know. Ah, yes, it's like, yes, oh, yes. yeah, I got the same grades. They just like her more or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. He's so frustrated. Oh, man. I love the headcanon that Draco was like second in the class. I know. That's sort of <laughs> that's fun. That's kind of interesting. It's pretty yeah. cool because um, like I think no matter what, Harry can still oust him at Defense Against the Dark Arts yeah. because Harry also Alice Hermione at the yeah. Skin Stark Arts. So maybe not in that particular subject. But um, it also means, though, that it's not just Harry who is outshining Malfoy by being like one of the most popular kids at school in like the Quidditch star. Yeah. It, Hermione is also outshining him by being the most academically like gifted. Yeah. So it could also feed into like why Draco hates her so much because it's like that it's could not be. just being muggle born like yeah. from his perspective. It's like you are making me look bad. Yeah. Like, because I would be killing it if not for you. Uh, yeah. uh, yes. So that's an interesting thought. Um, so there's another interesting line here from Malfoy where there he says I'm in something of a hurry book and I have important business elsewhere today. So I just highlighted that one because it's like is that a reference to the diary? Is that what he's talking about? Do you think? 
think. Like I have important business elsewhere. Like okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this because okay. I highlighted it too. Yeah, and so I, I do. Yes, I think I think he does. The important business that he is talking about, I think, is the planting of the diary. Right. The big question is whether or not he is specifically targeting <coughs> the Weasleys. Yes. Because or if, if he was maybe trying to target Harry. Or if he's trying to target Harry. But the big thing would be that they make their plans to go to uh, Diagon Alley on this specific day based on the letter from Hermione, from Hermione yes. which says, we're going to go to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. So this makes me wonder whether or not like, like Dobby was able to overcome like his programming to go and warn Harry, but he probably can't overcome the direct order to spy on when the Weasleys would be there. Oh, well, this is pretty... I mean... That could be. That's pretty interesting. And also, we know that Dobby was intercepting letters. We also know that Dobby was intercepting letters. So the letters to Harry. So who does the letter go to from her? It, I think it goes to Ron because she's asking like, "How is Harry?" Yes. Right. So could could Dobby have just been inter? Like, oh yeah. Like, could Dobby have intercepted the letter and gotten the information and like been forced to give it to Lucius? Yeah, I think so. Oh man. So I think I think the fact that the Malfoys are here on the same day is no mistake. No mistake. Yeah. Because mm, they're even sort of arriving at we sort. This is them arriving. In, in town. In town, And yeah. it's at the same time. Same time. Uh, even the timing is pretty... Sus- the only other thing that could possibly um, facilitate the timing is, is the Lockhart book signing. Like, it could be well-known information that Lockhart will be there. Yes. And so he could, like, maybe, like, guess this is when lots of people will be there or, like, make this is, like, my best odds for hogwarts students to be here because this famous author will be at flourish and blots but it seems more likely that um yeah there was some foul play i think foul play yeah yeah it fits with lucius too. fits it fits him a little bit more than to have been tracking the um <laughs> lock card yes yes yes, yes yeah. indeed um then uh, basically we have sort of like lucius's uh departure from the store where he basically is like Kind of using his his power to force uh, Mr. Morgan's hands, and uh, I, I do I do like this particular line because basically he's been referring to him as like Master Malfoy the the whole time, um, and upon Lucius leaving the store, Morgan says, "Good day, to, good day yourself, Mister Malfoy." As if the stories are true, you haven't sold me, and if half the stories are, are well, I'm butchering it. I'm sorry. Good day yourself, Mr. Malfoy. And if the stories are true, you haven't told me half of what's hidden in your manner. Mm-hmm. The the use of Mr. Um, like as sort of like, because it's even italicized in, in our copy of the book. Right, like, it is. It's like, it's like he's absolutely emphasizing like, uh, when you're here, you're master. When you leave, Mr. Well, like, does it say, I mean, it's looking at the other places. He says like, Mr. Malfoy, what a pleasure to see you again. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I think he refers to... Um, He's uh, Draco as Draco, young, Master, young Malfoy. Master Malfoy. Yeah, yeah that's it. It okay. is. It is different in which that it is spelled out the word Mister versus the other times when he's talking. It's the abbreviation M R. So I'm not sure why there'd be like a difference, or if that's like a could that be like a British thing where Mister means Master or something? I don't know. Or yeah, like there's it, there is a slightly different spelling. Or you were listening to the audio. Does he say Master? No, he says no. Mis- or he, uh, on the. Uh, oh, that's a good, good. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. 
But either way, he's definitely as soon as as soon as Malfoy is out of sight, he's like shifting tones. Yes, 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 yeah. yes absolutely. But the the thing, I mean, the thing that I always find interesting about that is like Borgen is like not a good dude himself. Yeah. But like it's it's sort of like the enemy of my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like sort of like a good little moment there. Yeah. It's like yes. Yeah. Right, totally. Um, so Harry gets out of the shop, and then uh, I think there's like a little interesting thing here where it says the one he just left, Morgan and Berths, looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads, and two doors down, a large cage was alive with gigantic black spiders, which is like we know that gigantic black spiders are going to be a big part of this book later on. So it's like, are those, is this shop selling acromantulas? I know. Do you yeah. think like, is that possible? Which then makes me think back to like the actual first opening of the chamber of secrets where like, you know, that Tom Riddle frames Hagrid for, um, you know, having an acromantula at the school. Yeah. And we know that Tom, I don't know what would no, I guess Tom Riddle graduates and goes to work for Borgen and Burke. So it's not like, he was working there and was like, oh, maybe this is where he bought the acromantula from to give to Hagrid or something. Oh, because isn't it the case that like he supposedly came in like the pocket of a traveler? Oh, something like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're yeah, right. Because I think a lot of people theorize that like Newt was the one who brought the acromantula. Acromantula. Back. Okay. So there could be that. There could be that. Maybe. Yeah, okay. I was trying to get into a zone where this is where Tom bought an acromantula to give to Hagrid to frame him or whatever. That would be pretty wild. But that on that wild. same note, uh, Hagrid shows up like one second later and he's like flesh it and slug repellent or whatever. And it's like, or maybe you were there looking at spiders. Hmm. Yeah, yes. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. <clears throat> it, it is like one of those things too. Yeah. Where I'm like, like I understand that like do, uh, that Nocturne Alley is sort of like a dodgy place overall, but it feels like other places would sell flesh eating slug repellent. It does. You know, I feel like this is maybe one of those things where it's like because Hagrid is going to be like framed later on as the one opening the chamber. It's like <gasps> Andy was a Nocturne Alley earlier. Uh, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sort of like a little bit of a misdirect. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. But this is like one of those where like I can never go back and like I don't have the ability to go back and read it for the first time. So I just know that Hagrid is completely innocent. Right. So I can't like there's no part of me that can even like read that sentence and think like nefarious lot thoughts. Yeah. But you're right. Like that. that's probably like the original setup is like, oh, right. Why was he there? That's right. Yeah. I was looking for Flesh eating slug repellent, growled Hagrid. They're ruining the school cabbages. Which to me, it's like, does Hogwarts grow its own food? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you think I've never? Do you think they grow their own food? They must. They have school cabbages. They must. They must. Yeah, must yeah. be. Um, but it's also like, why do you have to grow that much food if you can just replicate it all the time, right? These are the questions. Also, what how much cabbages do they think they need? Seriously, who <laughs> even think, likes cabbages? What kind of what kind of high schoolers are just like, oh man, they're no, they're out of cabbage. Bummer. Darn it! Because <sighs> I have to eat these drumsticks and delicious desserts I instead. Know, I know. Who is opting for the cabbage? The cabbage. Anyway, um, uh, moving on. Hagrid does ask, uh, "How come you never wrote back to me?" And Harry explains about like Dobby, and then you get uh, a line interrupted by Hagrid. He says, "Lousy Muggles! If I'd have known." And then Hermione interrupts and says, "Harry, Harry, over here." Yeah. Um, it's like I want to know what Hagrid would have done if he had known, like. 
shown up on Sirius's motorbike, shown up and knocked down the door again, yeah. like brought in Dumbledore. I like, also think Hagrid just completely glosses over Dobby. It's like Harry explained all about Dobby and the Dursleys, and he's like, dumb muggles. It's like, well, what about that house elf, though? I know, yeah. It's yeah. Like, Aren't was, you concerned about that at all? That was interesting, wasn't it? Right. Just now? There was, that was unusual. To, yes. There's, there's not supposed to be a house elf at Privet Drive. Yeah. 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 Nope. Never mind. Doesn't, anyway, doesn't Hermione shows up, saves Hagrid, saved by the bell. As usual, God, mm-hmm. she actually plays Bell. Oh, um, you're Emma right. <laughs> you're right. What a good joke. <laughs> oh man, totally didn't mean to do that, but whatever. Um, let's see. Oh, just a tiny little like um, thing they do here, where in uh, the movies, when Harry shows up at Diagon Alley, Hermione immediately fixes his glasses as sort of like a throwback to the first movie, where she does it on the train. Yep. That does not happen in the book. It is instead Mr. Weasley who does it and uh, returns them. Good as new. Yes. So there's yeah. that. Just a little quick correction there. Movies. Yes, indeed. Which because mm-hmm. it is always again one of those things where it's like you're not supposed to be able to do magic outside of school. Exactly. And there's Hermione just doing it in Wizard Public. Right. Right, 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 exactly. Especially mm-hmm. Hermione, who is like, you know, she's like, she's like yeah, Miss Rule follower, right, for the most right? part. Although, exactly, this is also one of those things where it feels like if anywhere you could just get away with doing magic, like this would be it. It definitely feels yeah. like everybody'd be so excited to go to like to go shopping, back yeah. to school shopping, because like I, I'm just, I need to perform some magic. I need to perform, but it's like it, like the trace here would be worthless. Yeah, there's no everywhere. It's all wizards everywhere, all you the know? time. Yeah, yeah, magic happening in every corner. Yeah, so yeah, the, even if they notice you doing it, doesn't matter. Exactly. They can't prove it's you. Right, 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 right. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so then we go down to Gringotts, where you get like just the, the really devastating, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a uh, small pile of sickles uh, and just one gold galleon for the Weasleys, which like based on the typical conversion rates, which w- I've gone back before and like kind of like reconfigured myself based on like the, the like value of gold. Um, but I think approximately the entire like family wealth at least that's being stored in the vault is approximately like $25. Wow. You know, it's like it's 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 just it's like in a like for the amount of stuff that they're supposedly buying on mm-hmm. this day and as much as we know like I think Harry's wand costs 7 galleons. Right, yeah. Ginny needs a wand. Ginny needs like, a wand. You know, so it's like it's like hopefully they just have like they just keep more of them. Hopefully there's just more on hand that yeah. you just don't know about. Yeah. Uh, but then I also, yeah, it's like, I think you already said or said this earlier. It's like, you know, it's like they don't have a lot of like gold money, but they are certainly like rich where it counts. Exactly. Versus like, you know, they're the exact opposite of, you know, the Malfoys. Very on purpose um, where they have tons of money, but are terrible people. Exactly. So. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, then you have Harry who has a lot of money and is a great person. So yay. Yay. <laughs> Um, let's see. Then there's Percy being shady again, and muttering vaguely about needing a new quill. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, whatever. Just going to skulk off there so we can suspect you of opening the chamber later. No big deal. Um, then let's see. They go down to uh, Harry wants to go spend some money, so he buys three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams, which I just highlighted because... Um, one, if you actually go to Universal and you go to uh, the Harry Potter Land section of the park, you can go to Florin Fortescue's, and that is the order you should get. It is such good ice cream. Ugh. Like, do get this order. That's what you want at the shop. 
That's all. Okay. Moving no, on. I, I think it's I, no. I think it's a it's a great thing to to dial in on because strawberry and peanut butter ice cream. It's I I know we've had this trivia question before, and I was just like guffawed yeah. to discover what the answer to it was. And it's like it is such an unusual flavor of ice cream. I know. Like, it doesn't seem like it should be because it's just PB and J. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like I don't even think in in England. I mean, we had our our buddy Seamus come once upon a time. And he had never had a peanut butter and jelly before. Not so. only had he never had it, he had like the the very thought of it seemed like gross to him. He thought that it was. He thought that our jelly was like Jello, gelat like gelatin. Yes. Jello. Yeah. Not like not like like spreadable. Not like spreadable. Yes. Like what you would think of as like Welch's grape jelly or something. Yes. Exactly. But like even when we made him the sandwich, he was like pretty hesitant to take a bite. Like this is about to be really weird. And it's like. Dude, Seamus, this has got to be the most common, the most common sandwich in America that five-year-olds eat at lunch every day. Every day, <laughs> like, yeah. And then how had, could you have never heard of it? But then he loved it. But then he loved it, yeah. yeah. So, so we got it. Shout out to Seamus. Go check out his uh, YouTube channel as well. He does lots of Pixar fun Disney stuff. Yes, indeed. Um, anyway, also they mentioned uh, Gamble and Jape's Wizarding Joke Shop. I just highlighted that. And I was like, I- I've read this book so many times. I could not have told you that was a place that existed. Nope. Yep. I was like, they talk about Zonkos all the time, and I'm always like, I. I couldn't have told you there was also a different joke shop at Diagon Alley. No, absolutely yeah. not. This this could have been given to me on like a multiple choice before and it would be like Gamble and Japes and I'd be like that's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So I underlined it as well and yep. I was like I should probably try to like store this away because it feels like the type of thing that like a year from now we will be asked this question and I won't know the answer to it. Yeah, so. right. Uh, then there we run into Percy again. Prefix who gained reading his book. Prefix who gained power. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, very on the nose. Like the, the misdirection that is being like applied to Percy in particular in this chapter is being yeah. laid on thick. Yeah, like you are absolutely as the story unfolds, you would have every reason in the world to think that Percy is supposed to be suspicious. I know it is. It is so interesting to me how uh, how thick it is being laid on here because like I remember reading this as a kid. I remember like hearing as an adult that like Percy is supposed supposed to be like a red herring and I was like what no why when how I never thought Percy was opening what what are you talking about <laughs> it's like I think like you you uh, well, me as a reader dislikes Percy so much for the most part that yeah I, that I'm usually just sort of like it would never be him yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't no. give him that much credit no exactly yeah. exactly it's like it's like Draco you can at least be like all right well now that guy he's going he's going for stuff right Percy is just like you know it just doesn't feel like the type so yep never never really had that that potential belief so I don't I don't think I was properly thrown yeah by Percy which I, that could be like its own thing where it's like the most ineffective red herring of all time is is and we're, I mean we're not even seeing the end of it at all like there's so much more where like Percy shows up like in weird places throughout yeah. the rest of this book and it's just gonna be like nope right yep not it yep I think it's kind of funny too that like it actually is Ginny and like both Ginny and Percy are behaving unusual for Weasleys at the moment and it is actually like both for the same reason. It's like Percy's acting weird and we know the reason is because he's like going out with Penelope Clearwater and he's like embarrassed by it or whatever. And like Ginny's reason is because like they say like she won't, she usually never shuts up, but it's like she's being super quiet and it's like it's because she has a crush on Harry Uh and it's like, you know, they both are sort of acting differently for the same reason. Right. That's true. That's true. So maybe maybe this is just how the Weasleys be right when enamored. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So then there's a, now we finally get to Gilderoy Lockhart at Flourish and Blots and there's the sign 
sign that says, this is a trivia question, by the way, is what hours he'll be there. I hate when that trivia question comes up. It's 1230 to 4.30. Remember oh. it right now. Yes. Um, it says he'll be signing copies of his autobiography, Magical Me. And I just highlighted that. I was like, it's funny to me that he has an autobiography called Magical Me because like aren't isn't isn't every single one of his books autobiographical supposedly supposedly to the public right. so is magical me just a collection of like all of them you know you think you'd have to cover all of the stuff you did in the other books it does feel that right? way unless, <laughs> unless in this book he's just like if you check out my my copy of Year with the Yeti. Year with the Yeti, exactly. Right. Uh, but like, that even that title alone suggests there was an entire year of his life spent with the Yeti, which feels like you would include that in your autobiography. Yes, you, it would seem like you would almost need to. It would have to. Yeah. Yeah. Formative year. I know. I mean, he's not that old. That, no, no. <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah. A full year. <laughs> you got to include some mention yeah. of it. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, and more trivia on the next page is that uh, whatever, if you can keep track of what color robes Lockhart is wearing <sighs> throughout uh, the different events, um, that will answer you a lot of trivia questions. I can tell you. Yes. Uh, he's wearing Forget Me Not Blue yes. at Flourish and Blots. That exactly matched his eyes. Exactly matched yeah. his eyes. He has Forget Me Not Eyes. Maybe that's a good way to remember it, actually. Oh, that is. Yeah. Forget yeah. Me Not Eyes. Anyway, I they like match that. his eyes. Let's see. Uh, then, of course, he walks in. He spots Harry, pulls him into the camera. He says, together, you and I are worth the front page, which, of course, Harry would just be worth the front page by himself, so he doesn't even need Lockhart. <laughs> I don't, that would have been so funny if Harry was like, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have the chosen one. <laughs> please. <laughs> that, that would have been hilarious. Yes. Oh, man. If Harry just like leaned into it. It'd be great if like he took the exact wrong lesson and was just like, oh, this guy thinks he's famous. That's it. <laughs> no, I'm famous. Hold my potion. <laughs> Hold my potion. That's so good. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Uh, but so Lockhart gives him the books, which Harry just generously gives to the Weasleys or gives to Ginny anyway. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And what has got to be like the world's biggest cauldron. I know. Well, I think it's got to be like uh, part of me. I was wondering about the cauldron, too, because like Ginny is like, what, 11 here. And this cauldron is loaded with books. Like there's it, is is this some sort of like um like magical cauldron that like expand like a, as an expanding charm like Hermione's bag or something yeah it could be like could maybe be. I don't know yeah. um because yeah it, it seems like it seems like um Harry is like weighed down by the sheer weight of all of these books yeah and and then there's there's Jenny just just hanging on to it. Oh, I know. Well, it's sort of like whatever I imagine when I remember as a kid thinking whenever they were making like potions and cauldrons like you see in the movie and they have these little like tabletop cauldrons, which seems like it makes more sense. But like to me as a kid, like whenever I heard of a, a you know, a witch in a cauldron, it was a cauldron the size of, you know, that like sat on the floor and came up past your waist and was massive, you yes, know? Yes, 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 yes. A cauldron. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? A cauldron. A cauldron, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ginny's carrying this thing around <laughs> massive yeah. uh, obviously not it's more of a small cauldron which you know that's not as much fun if you ask me I want yeah. big cauldrons yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we have Ginny's first line in front of Harry this book which is uh, to Malfoy and it's sort of that like uh, that like glean of um, or gleam of Ginny's like fiery attitude where she says like leave him alone he didn't want all that and it's like, oh, that you're like standing up for Harry with your first words. That's kind of fun. It is pretty cool. And, yeah. and it's neat, too, because like uh, otherwise Ginny's character, it's like it's so hard to imagine her going from this like very shy 
person to being as like bold and and like you know sort of center of attention as she eventually will end up yeah. being. And so you're exactly right. It's like you're starting to see like that glimmer of like that's what's really hiding underneath that surface. There. Yeah, it's like. A, a pretty strong person. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then I love Malfoy's response as Potter, you've got yourself a girlfriend. And it's like, <laughs> in this book especially, it's like the idea of having a girlfriend is like so embarrassing to everyone. I, <laughs> and it's like, that's his. That's what he's insulting him with here is that like, you have a girlfriend. I know, I, I even, I was trying to like contextualize that in my head and like go into like a real world situation. I'm like, wow, Ben, you have a girlfriend. It's like, Cool. Yeah, like, <laughs> you like girls, haha. Yeah, yeah it's like, basically. I know. Yeah, you're, you're right though. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of funny, but then I also just highlighted, and it's like, well, actually, yes, though, eventually. So yeah, he's, they he's, do date. He's pretty dead on the you money. are you are on the money here. Um, but then Ron has this weird line where he just says, "Bet you're surprised to see Harry here, eh?" He's <laughs> like, "What? Why?" It, I was trying. I was trying to unpack that too. Do you think that's from like, like because? Dobby came and tried to get Harry to not go. And right. They like, don't know that Dobby's there for like protective reasons. And so like they think it's a practical joke. And so right. It's like, like this is Ron like having settled in his brain that the re I, that's what I thought too. Like this, this goes back to the conversation they had in the flying car where they're like, do you know anyone who would have who hates you and this would be like their idea of a practical joke and they're like Malfoy and it's like Ron seems to have settled on that I guess yeah now like he's bringing it up as if this is like obvious information to Draco like oh we know what you did with Dobby uh, right, you know right. they don't even know that Dobby works for the Malfoys yet it's like we almost need a line from Draco where he's just like, like what what <laughs> like, excuse me why would I not think Harry what, uh, would be here but you're surprised to see Harry here huh yeah right, yeah yeah yeah, that, that's the moment right there where it's like sometimes like <coughs> in in real life, I feel like you would have like more situation unfolding where the person would be like, I don't, I don't actually know what you mean. Can yeah, you wait, Can you hold on. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, but in Ron's mind, it's like, we're on to you. We know you tried to get Harry not to come back to Hogwarts. So I bet you're surprised to see him here. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Like <laughs> for Ron, this is a real gotcha moment. It is. And Draco's like, okay. Draco says Think, nothing. I guess you said that. Moving on. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but actually, he he's sort of responds as not as surprised as I am to see you in a shop, Weasley. Oh. So he's sort of, I guess maybe he does sort of be like, I am surprised to see, but not. It just sort of turns it into an insult about Ron being poor. Yeah. Um, as ever. Um, let's see. Moving on to the next page, though, we definitely get like uh, the another one of these moments where you know it's it's well not it's Arthur versus Lucius. Yes. Really, which even this is kind of like one of those things where it's like, um, is Lucius attempting to bait Mister Weasley? into this particular like fight specifically yeah. to to bring about the opportunity to plant the diary. Right. Like is he doing it on purpose here? Like we know we know at the very least. Well, based based on what he says to Borgen that he has other business. If we assume that he means planting the diary, then at the very least he means to plant it on someone that day. And I would say it's more likely that he knows the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione will be there. So he is trying to plant it on one of them. And it almost seems like he would be trying to plant it on Harry. Like, do you think his intended target is Ginny or just like, like, do you, do you, do you think he has to settle for Ginny or like, you know, I don't know. He, I don't think he's really targeting Harry. No. Okay. I don't think so. Cause I mean, like, 
because he's just trying to open the chamber of secrets, right? Like, right. Like we oftentimes contextualize for like our what if theories and stuff like that. That like the diary is planted to weaponize as a way for Voldemort to get to Harry from inside of the school where Harry is otherwise protected. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what Lucius is up to in real life. Like he's just trying to open the chamber of secrets. He doesn't even know. Oh, he doesn't even know. Like, yeah. like exactly what it'll do or that it's a Horcrux. Like he doesn't know hardly anything about the diary at all other than it has this one power. Right. So I think that he's it'll just open trying it. to yeah. get it into school. And I, I think that he's probably trying to disgrace disgrace Arthur. That's true. So, Maybe he is targeting the Weasley family a little more because he does pick. I mean, he picks up Ginny's books. He picks up Ginny's books. And it's like, and he but, even says here, girl, take your book. Um, so yeah, and like that's when he does it right there. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. So it's like that is when he does it. But like in the meantime, she has like dropped her cauldron and stuff. So it's like I guess he picks it up. She drops the cauldron. The books go everywhere, and then he gives it back to her. And that is when we assume he gives her the diary. That's supposed to be as well. Moment. Yeah. So it seems like you're right that because because he could have picked up anyone's books, and he like specifically picks up the one Jenny's holding. He's like, you must walk in, decide she's the one. Let's go. Yes, yes, um, and I, I think that's exactly it. And I mean, it goes back to exactly even the same reason that he's in Nocturne Alley in the first place is because Arthur Weasley is supposedly in, injecting these new laws that are causing all these new raids, right. which is causing him. So, like, I, I, a lot of the diary planting doesn't have anything to do with the return of Lord Voldemort. Like, as far no, as I don't Lu- think so. Lucius at this point in time is just trying to like live his best outside of his responsibilities as a death eater. So if anything, like when he appears to Voldemort, Voldemort has every reason to be like, Lucius, what the heck, man? I know. Like, where you been? Where you been? You should have um, been looking for me. Also, how's that diary? What? <laughs> you definitely protected the diary, right? <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, ooh, well. Turns out the Potter kid destroyed it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can you imagine having to give him that news? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would kill you. Uh, yeah, you know, but he must. He must not have. He must right? not have. Yeah, yeah. he must have figured yeah. it out. Uh, we have a whole video about how Lucius is just the worst Death Eater. And by so when I say worst, I mean the least effective Death Eater. Yes, he, he has no competence rating <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, like he gets nothing done. Yeah. Almost at all. Gets one of the Horcruxes destroyed. Of course, that's another one of those things where it's like, if Voldemort had trusted Lucius enough to tell him that it was a piece of his soul like certainly it would have just remained protected he wouldn't have been so cavalier about it but um of course he can't do that and that's to his own demise but that's it always comes out it's always a big circle like that it's always he's always setting himself up for failure it's true all yeah. the time and always um, um i do think it's almost surprising here that Mr. Weasley like physically attacks Lucius. Like it feels out of character. It does feel out of character, and that's that's what I was saying too. Is like I think, I think like we actually get a really good line from Arthur, and I love it, and I love it in the movies as well. But like I I think that if you were watching this entire scene unfold from Lucius's perspective, Lucius I think gets the better hand of this entire exchange because he's successful in his mission. I think that he is baiting Arthur in the first place, which he's successful at doing yeah and he basically does that by saying dear me what's the use of being disgraced the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it and um mr weasley comes back with the we have a very different idea of what disgraces the name of wizard malfoy and i love that response because i think like 
we would all agree with Arthur in this particular occasion that yeah. like, the Weasleys are a much better representation of what it means to be a wizard. But I, it's like, I almost think that like Lucius is like baiting him. Like he is intentionally trying to get him to, to strike Yeah, and it works. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I do think overall in the end, it's like, you love to see like Arthur stand up for himself. You love to see him like be as quick witted, you know, he's just as good of a wizard, if not a lot better. Yeah. Um, like in terms of like magical prowess and ability and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think that the, the physical attack does feel, I guess be, it feels odd or out of place. It, it does. I suppose it's because the final thing that gets him is that he, like he notices Mr. And Mrs. Granger who are just straight up muggles here in Diagon Alley. And what he says is the company you keep Weasley. And I thought your family could sink no lower. So it's like, that's the line that he crosses is like insulting the Grangers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That I guess like that's that is to Mr. Weasley like worth fighting over. Yes. It's like, which no, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. I mean, which is also sort of like the it feeds into the greater theme of the book because as far as Lucius is concerned, like, yes, the diary will open the Chamber of Secrets, but then the goal of the Chamber of Secrets will be to purge the school of uh, Muggleborns. Of Muggleborns, yeah. So that, that could be his real target here. Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at it through that lens, you're exactly right. The overall themes, this this one page, it, uh, has, it has, like, an imprint of the theme of the entire book. Right, yeah. Like, illustrated on it. Right, that's and is that, point. like... Um, it is. I mean, that, that's really what they're trying to, I think, is being set up is just like the the weird, like, wizarding racism between purebloods and, like, non-purebloods. Yes, which is just, yeah. it's like, it's so, it's even so kind of like, like, just backwards in its own weird way, just because there's so few purebloods altogether that, like, right. the, like, the amount of, like, limiting that this does on, on your ability to, like, like, like expand or or right. anything. It's like it's like you you. There are like, in as of the 1920s, there were the sacred 28. There are 28 families that fall right. under this category. And like the which the Weasleys do. The Weasleys do. Yeah, <laughs> and they yeah. still don't like them. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just like it's like it. It feels like it would be. It feels like the system would break itself down because surely anyone anywhere along the line would be like, no, I would like to just go and date somebody else because I like them. Right. You know, or whatever. And like, and like merge these families in this particular way. And like that would break it down to even fewer people who had maintained. Yeah. This absolute pure blood status. Right. Like, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's basically what's happened to the gaunts when you meet them. Yes, exactly. It's like they've yes. just like, like sort of like, yeah, like problematically like inbred. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but that, that pretty much brings the chapter to a close. Yes, it kind of does. That brings us to the end of, uh, brings us to the end of flourish and lots of very eventful chapter that sets up all sorts of stuff for, books to come all this i love all the stuff in nocturne alley that was a like I, I i never noticed the poison you know that like oh my gosh like even the poison is there even the poison like that no. means which means that like draco sort of successfully poisons ron i guess that's always true but like with it like from this scene you know yes yeah from, yeah. yeah yeah exactly like yeah and i mean i don't see any reason why not to assume that it's the same poison when everything else i know that we see inside of this chapter is used yeah in his is efforts. used used in his efforts and because the poisons literally used to belong to his family yes yeah yeah, yeah. 
Like as far as he's, I'm sure concerned. Maybe it, it, it like it's rightfully his poison. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's my family's poison. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? There yeah. we go. All right. Well, Jay, do we do we have a review? We absolutely do, Ben. All right. So uh, I have a review here. I don't. I, for some reason, did not copy the person's name, which is unfortunate. But sometimes it jarbles it anyway. So whatever. Uh, a review is so fantastic. I love it. Hey, I've watched your YouTube channel since forever, and I love this way of looking at the book. There are so many things I never new. Thank you. I have a question. Why do you think the Dursleys don't want Harry to leave? They hate him. Don't they want him gone? <laughs> I, I often am confused by this exact thing right. as well. Yes. Where it's it's almost like like they're they, like they should be leaping for joy that he's like that Harry's accepted to Hogwarts. Right. It's like you don't have to deal with him. You don't have to pay to go to some other school. You don't have any responsibilities really attached to him at all whatsoever. Right. Like, it's eight weeks a year. Right. Like, yeah. This should be such a win for you. It's like, hey, turns out all of our troubles are gone. Like, yeah, this kid will barely be an inconvenience on our life anymore. Right. But hilariously, uh, the thing that comes to mind is almost from like the TV show Survivor, where it's not uncommon in the show for care uh, for players to strategically keep somebody like if you're a physical threat in challenges, oftentimes people will want to keep the even more physical threat in the game so that like as a shield. Yeah. Because everybody's like, well, they're all looking at that person who's like a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger than me. Nobody's paying attention to me over here. Right. But like once like, you know, so if I can keep them around as like a, like a perceived bigger threat, then, you know, like, then they're not going to get rid of me because exactly. we got to keep getting rid of that guy. Exactly. But I'll keep throwing votes off that guy because he's not a threat to win. Exactly. Yeah. But so I almost wonder at all if like the, like Harry is this bizarre like unifier to the Dursleys that allows them to all like each other that much more in contrast to how much they all agree that they hate Harry. It's like a way for them to reinforce to Dudley their ideals because they can always point at Harry as what's wrong with the world. Exactly. Right. Yes. So yeah. it's like all of a sudden if Harry's not there and it's just the three of them together, then they are absolutely forced to like and these are these are people with opinions. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. You know, and if they have to direct those opinions at each other in any way, that can very quickly become harmful. Right. It's like a it's like an like they're negative people, but Harry becomes the source of all of their the the outlet for all of their negativity. So it never gets redirected at the other people in the house. Exactly. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Yes. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And then I think on top of that, they just are they're like we talked about it earlier, how like Petunia has that like sterile environment, like like non-functionally so. Like there's there's clean because clean helps you live a nicer life and then there's clean because like it gives you the sense of like superiority or something right like not my house is clean or than yours right yeah right, right, right. which is yes. all which is also clean um and so i think to them it's like the idea like if if someone found out about harry it'd be the same like the, or the, the they're afraid that having harry there and knowing about magic is like so much more likely to draw any sort of like bad perception to themselves as like not normal. Wait, hold on. So I'm, I'm trying to follow your logic. Here. Right. So like by having Harry there, why would that not make them want him to leave? I, you're right. It, it, you know, I maybe I'm defeating myself in logic here. 
Um, because my, my thinking similar to I think because they know he has to come back each year. Okay, and so every year he goes back. Every time he goes to school and comes back, he's going to know that much more magic, which could expose them in that, some way. That's true. That's true. Like as his powers <laughs> grow, such will the likelihood the, the of, threat of, of their normality. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it it could interfere with their exposure, which eventually right. it does. I mean, their normality. I mean, even even in this book, it already has. You yes, know. yes, indeed. It's like um, you know, otherwise, Mister Dursley probably just successfully sells the drills. You yeah, know? yeah. Like at the vacation home, so. right? And they don't have a flying yeah. car outside of their house in the middle of the night. Which actually, even even that though isn't fair because like you know what, it's not really Harry's fault. Harry doesn't do anything. That's also true. Yeah, that's also true. Um, my other thinking would largely just be like the outside pers- like uh, like grapevine talk if you will around if people of the neighborhood knew that the Dursleys had taken Harry in and they win some points for that like generosity oh, uh-huh. but then if all of a sudden that kid disappears then it like it leads to questions right it's like well, what happened to the kid yeah now they have to deal with like weren't you taking care of another kid yes it's like wasn't yeah. there somebody else who lives because that's the other thing that always surprises me that they like they like let him go to school in like oversized baggy clothes and stuff it's like that must look bad on your reputation right yes like, doesn't people, it people like the teachers are going to see that you are sending this co- this kid to school in oversized and old and worn out clothes in a way that like is so different from how you're sending the other kid from your household to school. Yeah. Like right that it does seem like that would come back to bite them quickly. Yeah. It's like like I mean not not, not to compare like because it feels like such a like drastically different things but I'm speaking purely through the eyes of the Dursleys but like they're they're so uptight about like the their the like height of their grass, the perfectness of their you know hedges and and landscaping and the cleanliness of their house and yeah. stuff like that. It's like surely they must be aware that this is a per, like like a a way in which you can be judged, which right? Is how you care for your wards, right? But like, I also don't see anything wrong with the way they treat Dudley either. Right. Yes, also so, true. Also yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's like maybe we're we're demanding too much. Uh, we're we're expecting reasonable things from unreasonable people. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're trying to be like, yeah, because you know what? If they were even just regular nice people, it'd be fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Even even if they were lightly inconvenienced, it'd probably still be fine. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so there you go. It does seem like this eventually is like a plot point, I think, for um, going to the Quidditch World Cup, too, where Mr. Weasley's like, well, or not Mr. Weasley, Mr. Dursley is like, mm, oh, gosh, going to the World Cup will make you happy. So I don't want you to do it. But also you won't be here, which would be great. So what do I do? Yeah, so frustrating. So frustrating. Come on, man. Like, it's like, like if you're just upset hmm. at the prospect of some other individual being happy at all. Oh, like, I know. It's like, what's at war there is like his desire to make someone else happy versus making himself happy. And he is letting, like, it is a real contest of, like, he almost lets make someone unhappy win. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's like, that is ridiculous. That is terrible. Like, Let it go, yeah, man. dude. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. So, anyway. That's a good question. Good question. It, it is a little nonsensical, but yes. the Dursleys are pretty nonsensical themselves. Um, but that's going to do it for us for Chapter 4, Flourish and Blots. Make sure you uh, join us next time as we venture into Chapter 5. We're finally going to make it to Hogwarts as we travel into the Whomping Willow next time here on Through the Gryffindor. 
Today's episode was edited by Ethan Edgehill. Vaishan Brandon does our art. Catherine Stein is our production manager, and the show is hosted by me and Jonathan Carlin. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.